0: Traveling teaches you. You get to learn about different people, different cultures, different foods, different ways to get places, best places to get gas and food, and a whole host of other things. Here are a few things that I've learned having traveled over 6,000 miles these last two months. Semis can take out traffic barrels (laughs) and keep on trucking as if nothing had happened. Always bring an EpiPen if you're allergic to something. There's more than one Jolly Pirate donut shop in Ohio. Don't bring too many road snacks, or you could lose your phone. It is possible to turn around a 15-passenger van on a two-lane road. My kids are great travelers. Deer don't stand a chance against a flatbed, no matter how confident that deer is. And don't try to make yellow lights, especially if there are cameras. (laughs) That was expensive. and how good it feels to pull into your own driveway. And no matter how far you drive, God is still watching over us. And those are just things that I've learned en route. There isn't enough time for me to list all of the things that I've learned at these destinations where I've been traveling to. We find in our text this morning the patriarch Jacob on his own journey. And while stopping to rest one evening... Jacob's rest is interrupted by some unexpected visitors, and he is taught a lesson. He's given a personal message just for him. I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to see these unexpected visitors in Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, and if you're able, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Genesis chapter 28, beginning at verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your descendants." Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God." The stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that you would help us to hear and apply the message that you have for each one of us here today through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Ever since before Jacob was born, he was making a name for himself. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, explains that Rebecca's twins were struggling with one another while in the womb. And I can understand that. There's only so much room in the womb. It makes sense. When people hear that I'm a twin, the next question that comes is, are you identical? No, Jeremy and I are not. And then the next question comes, who's older? And being competitors... Jeremy and I always competing between one another. I used to tell people that Jeremy lost the cage match and I kicked him out. That's why he's older. That might be me rewriting history a little bit, but that in my mind sure that's I'll tell myself that. But sometimes but we still end up competing against one another. But back to Rebecca and our text. She asked the Lord, "What was going on in her body?" And the Lord responded, The Lord tells Rebekah, there are two nations in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. The next verse you read about is the red kid, the kid who was born first and his name is Esau. Esau is the oldest and then the next verse we find Jacob comes. And What does the text say about Jacob in verse 26 of chapter 25? It says that he came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means one who takes by the heel, or supplants or replaces. In the next verse we read, the boys are already all grown up. They grow up fast, don't they? Esau is a daddy's boy, and Jacob is a mama's boy. One day Jacob has made some stew, and his twin brother Esau was hungry. And he asks his brother, his twin, for some food, and he tells him, I, "I love how Esau asks, or kind of demands. He says this, "Please let me have a swallow of that there red stuff." He sounds like a little bit like a redneck. But "Please let me have some of that red, some of that there red stuff, for I am famished. And what does his loving, helpful brother do? He gives him a bowl of stew and says, oh yeah, here you go, Esau, I made more than I could eat, so here, have a bowl. That's not what the text says. No, his loving brother doesn't do that. A faithful brother would, but not Jacob. A loving brother would, but not Jacob. A compassionate brother would, but not Jacob. No, true to his name, he demands Esau's birthright in replace of this in payment for this stew. And he replaces Esau then as the firstborn, meaning that he would get the double portion of the inheritance. And Esau says, Well, <laughs> what good is an inheritance if I die? And so he foolishly sells off his birthright for some red stuff there. And we don't even know what it is. But since then, Esau's name was changed to Edom. And if you read throughout Scripture, you'll come across a people named the Ed- called the Edomites. They weren't necessarily friends of Israel. But they all come back to Esau and this bitter rivalry between Jacob and Esau. But the next time Jacob is mentioned in scripture is in chapter 27. After Isaac gives Esau instructions to prepare some food for him that he may bless his oldest son, Esau, and give him that blessing. Rebekah then tells the son whom she loves, Jacob, to deceive his father. To quick, make some food and disguise himself as Esau. To put some fur on his arm so he's hairy like his brother. And to get that blessing from his father. And Jacob does. Cold heartedly. Without any regrets. And he receives his father's blessing. Now Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth. And an abundance of grain and new wine. And may people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. For a competitive twin, this sure sounds like a good blessing, doesn't it? Your brothers are going to be your servants from here on out. Jacob receives a blessing, and he leaves. And Esau arrives just after Jacob had left only to find out that there's no more blessing left to give. Essentially, though he was the rightful heir and the blessing should have been his, he was scratched away from the will. And Esau is furious. He bore a grudge against Jacob. And can we blame him? Would any of us act any differently here if this situation happened to you? Esau longed for and waited for the day when his father would die, so that he could kill his brother and get back what was rightfully his. When Rebekah told, is told of Esau's intentions, she tells Jacob to take off, to flee, to run to his uncle's house, until Esau simmers down a bit. And the next chapter begins with Isaac telling Jacob to go fetch for himself a wife, and even tells him where to go, to go to Padan Aram. And then we get to our text, Genesis chapter 28. We see here in verse 10, Jacob departs for his journey. In verse 11, after traveling for some time, he grabs a stone to lay his weary head on. He's fleeing for his life, and this is the best thing that he has to comfort him. This is the only thing that he has to comfort him, to help him sleep at night, is a rock to put his head on. Think about that the next time you complain about your pillow being too firm. Jacob leaves fleeing for his life. And the only comfort he has is a rock in the miles between him and his brother who is out to kill him. Jacob fell asleep and has a dream. Jacob sees a ladder bridging the gap between earth and heaven. It's not a ladder for Jacob to climb up to get to heaven on. It's actually not for Jacob at all. Instead, Jacob sees angels of God going up and down. And then Jacob sees something. The text says, and behold, behold, behold. These are all unexpected things that Jacob never would have imagined in a thousand years. And behold, we see someone standing at the top of the ladder. And who is it that Jacob sees in the text? In verse 13, the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him. And he tells Jacob who he is. He says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham. And the God of Isaac. And that's where the explanation of who he is stops. It's interesting that the Lord doesn't refer to himself here as Jacob's God, does he? Just the God of his father and his grandfather. Then the Lord does something remarkable once again He makes a promise to Jacob. The Lord promises to give him the land that he is lying on, and not only to him, but to his descendants. He's talking. The Lord is talking about Jacob's descendants, and he still hasn't even found a wife yet. He's on his way to find one, but he doesn't have one yet. The promise continues that his descendants are going to be too numerous to count. they will be as many as the dust of the earth, and they will spread out. And Jacob who so far has only been a cause of strife and contention in Scripture, hears from the mouth of the Lord that in him and in his descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth, including the family of Edom, his twin, his brother who wants to kill him, including your family and mine. Can you imagine what that must have been like, fleeing for your life, And now you're being told that you're going to change from a source of anger, and almost a name being a curse, to a source of blessing. How unworthy Jacob must have felt. And the promises still continue on. The Lord promises to be with Jacob, not just for the rest of his journey, but until the Lord accomplishes what he has said he would do. He promises to bring him back to this land safely. He's giving this scoundrel protection. Why? What has Jacob done to deserve the favor of the Lord? Absolutely nothing. You'd expect the opposite. You'd expect a message of judgment for deceiving his father and for robbing his brother. The Lord shows Jacob his grace in spite of all of his sin. And in spite of all of his failures, he receives grace the Lord is up to something bigger. He's continuing the promise that was given to Rebecca of two nations fighting in her womb, the promise that was given to his father Isaac, the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was given to Eve. The seed of the woman that was promised so long ago is being further defined, further narrowed down. The seed is getting closer to coming. Though the Savior wouldn't be born for another 2,000 years, he's getting closer. The Lord hadn't forgotten his promise. He was working his plan of redemption and in the process, redeeming the scoundrel, Jacob. It's interesting to note that this promise wasn't simply passed down because of Abraham's and Isaac's DNA, even though the promise was for their descendants. But when the Lord speaks to Jacob, he doesn't refer to him as Jacob's God. Though he was Abraham's descendant. And even though he had already usurped Esau's birthright, that didn't make him the rightful heir in God's sight. The family of God isn't chosen by genetics, and it's not chosen by thievery either, but instead by faith in the promise. Jacob believed the Lord. And even though Jacob hadn't yet made it to Padanaram to find a wife, he made it to his destination, A destination that was safe and secure. And when he wakes up, he proclaims, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. Even though he was promised that the Lord would be with him, Jacob fears when he wakes up. Why would he be afraid? Well, the short answer is, look at everything that Jacob has done in the past. His brother is still out to kill him. But not only that, but he's had an encounter with the living God. He's running away from his bad choices. He's running away from the consequences of his sin. He's running for his life. And he's come into the presence of God and made aware of his standing before the Lord. And if it were based on his life and his actions, he'd be done for. But by the grace of God, Jacob receives the Lord's favor. And so he wakes up early and he uses his pillow for a pillar and he anoints the stone. He anoints that stone and renames the place Bethel, house of God. And he makes a vow to the Lord saying that if God will indeed be his provider and his protector, if he will indeed come through with everything that he has promised, and he returns to his father's house safely, then the Lord will be his God. And the stone that he set up as a pillar would be God's house and Jacob, the supplanter, Jacob, the thief, Jacob, the unloving and the greedy, the taker, would become a giver. And he would give back to the Lord a tenth of all that he has and of all that the Lord gives him. When We see, or we see Jacob coming to a place of faith, a place of trust in the Lord as his provider and protector. And moving on throughout the story in Genesis chapter 35, Jacob again returns to Bethel. And he fulfills his vow to the Lord. And he and everyone who is traveling with them, everyone whom the Lord had blessed him at this time, his servants, his family members, they come and they rid themselves of their idols. And they bury them there. And the Lord becomes their Lord. And they worship him alone. The Lord is their God and they are his people. And later on in the chapter, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And promises that from him he would be the father of a nation and a community of nations from him, and that kings would come from his very DNA. The Lord had brought Jacob safely to his destination faith and dependence on the Lord, hope and the promise that was spoken to him, trust and worship. It wasn't a quick journey. There's too many chapters for me to read it all for you this morning, so I'd encourage you to continue reading this at home sometime today. It wasn't an easy journey. It wasn't a fearless journey, and it wasn't without Jacob stumbling along the way. But all the while, the Lord was his protector. The Lord was his provider, and the Lord was his sustainer. The Lord took this fearful swindler and formed Israel, his people, all by the promise. The Lord continues to call unworthy sinners to be his people by faith. Maybe this morning you find yourself in a similar situation as Jacob, that you're trying to outrun your sin, your lies, your deceit, your selfishness. You put on a good face, but deep down you know the scoundrel that lives inside your heart to keep him or her hidden. But you can't, can you? But take heart. The Lord had in mind you and your family. When he told Jacob that all the families of the earth will be blessed in him by his seed. And that seed is Christ. And in Christ, that sin that you are running from or that you are trying to hide has been dealt with. So don't try to hide it anymore, but bring it to the light of Christ. Confess it and be forgiven Because the Lord continues to call sinners to repentance and faith, the unworthy, the lost, the broken, the arrogant and the greedy, the abuser and the abused, that they would all see the Lord as their provider, their protector, their sustainer. That they would see the forgiveness Christ won at the cross and that they too would receive it for themselves. Every one of us in our earthly lives are on a journey in which the Lord is continuing to reveal himself to you, calling us to himself. And At the end of this journey, there are only two destinations. If you continue in sin or continue trying to run away from your sin or doing this life all on your own, that destination is hell. But if you acknowledge your sin and your own unworthiness and confess it to God and trust in Jesus, what he has done for you, then that destination is is heaven. It's full of blessings and peace and happiness and joy. May the Lord and his grace be with each one of you on your earthly journey and bring you safely home to be with him in heaven forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your word and its truth, that your word is living and active. Lord, that your word can pierce through our hearts and our spirits. This morning, as we see the character of Jacob, Lord, we see a lot of, I see a lot of resemblances of myself, Father. I pray that you would forgive me for those things. Help us all to see our own unworthiness before you and to confess our sins before you and to find that forgiveness that you have received, that you have won, and to receive that forgiveness that you so graciously, freely give to each one of us. I pray, Lord, that you would be with our friends and family members who don't know you, that they would come to know you. Father, that you would teach us your grace and help us to live in that grace and to show that same grace to those around us, that they too might know that you are the Lord and your love for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.